You're listening to the sermon audio from the Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about the Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. sermon series. If you are new here, we're in a sermon series. It's going to be about 10 weeks long, and we're on discipleship. And part of the discipleship we were walking through, we started with God, who he is, his attributes, what his word is, what the Bible is. And then our response was prayer. And we talked about prayer a couple weeks ago and spirit-filled life. And now we're into fellowship and what this is. And, and man, I'm so excited about this because we're in fellowship and we're talking about AGM stuff, annual general meeting afterwards. Uh, I got a message from Desiree earlier this week, kind of midweek, and saying, hey, what do you think about a whole bunch of us making soup, and then we just can stay in the gym and eat soup together in fellowship, and I'm like, do you know what I'm preaching on? All right, and so she, I said, you do it, and you, uh, you get a whole bunch of people and, uh, and sending out the soup message, and, and I'll, once when you get enough people, then I'll just fire it out to the whole body, and and so if I don't have your email, if you've never signed up for anything, I don't have your email. And so uh, I would love to get that. And also we have guys' chats and, and women's chats on Signal. And so if you want to be a part of that, please come and talk to me. Happy to sit. This is one lead pastor that will give out a cell phone. All right. So this is one of those things that I love to be in, involved with people's lives. So this fellowship idea is something that I'm really loving. I'm really loving. And so I'm fired up about this this week in this uh, sermon. Uh, so fellowship. And I don't know about you, uh, as I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about uh, some of those fellowship, those really tight relationships that you have. And I was thinking over my years, uh, like 32 years of my life, no laughs on that? Come on. Thank you. I look really good at 32, right? Like 32? Jared, you need to go see the doctor. Uh, but I have one of those fellowship with my wife, obviously, but a, a handful of other people throughout my life, my 50 years of life, and, and walking with people and, and engaging with people. And I don't know about you, have you, do you have those friendships that you know when you're sitting with them and you know when you're talking with them, it's like between you and them and God, obviously. Like that's it. That's as far as it's going to go. And those are sweet moments. Like when you know you can share the depths of your heart, your hurts, your pains, your questions, and you know it's going to stop here and with the Lord. Like those are sweet fellowship times. Those are sweet friendships. And, and if you could put one word to that, it would be, for me anyways, it would be trustworthy. And now we all, all have different definitions of what these words might mean, but man, what encapsulates trustworthy for me is like love, intimacy, uh, compassion, because you wouldn't be trustworthy if you didn't have those things as well. And so it encapsulates all kinds of different things. And, and maybe, maybe some of those friendships uh, were ones that you, um, you've gone and done life with, you've, you've warred with, you've, you've had trials with, and, and that what's, that's maybe what draws you in together with these individuals. And man, when you're apart... Like, I'm thinking of one friend of mine, and when you're apart, you, you, you know what they're doing. You know what their family's doing. And when you get back together, it's like nothing changed at all. Like, those are sweet times. Those are sweet relationships. Those are sweet, that's sweet fellowship. 
You see, the most clearly, the most clear example, I guess, the most clear example is in Solomon, or in, sorry, the, the book of Solomon, or Samuel, <laughs> book of Solomon, not, the book of Samuel, and it's David and Jonathan. I'm not sure if you know this, these stories, but when, when David went to kill Goliath, kind of this is the context of what's going on. And so 1 Samuel chapter 18 is where I'm going to go, and you can turn your Bibles to there. But let me just set up the context. So David is out. He volunteers to go and fight this massive man, Goliath. And then Saul, and when you read the story, Saul, King Saul and Abner, his commander, had no idea who this man was, like no idea, to the point where in the end of 17, you have um, Saul going, Abner, find out who this kid is. And he's walking off the battlefield with Goliath's head in hand. And Abner goes to him and goes, come back, the king wants to talk to you. And so David enters into the tent with the king, and you got the commander there, and most likely his Saul's son, Jonathan. And you find this out because of the story. And so let's, let's read it in, in uh, chapter 18, verses 1. It says, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, so as soon as David was finished speaking to Saul in the tent, after killing Goliath, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Was knit to him. Like, think of this. This is that friendship. Right? You see someone go out onto the battlefield, zero armor, sling a stone, and knock this giant down that was casting mockery at this people. And he walks with confidence back to the t- king's tent with his head in his hand. And Jonathan's probably like, I want to know this guy. I want to know this man. I want to know who he's about in his soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house because he was just a shepherd boy at the time. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him and his own, as his own soul. And get this, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that, he was, that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Friendship, fellowship with one another. Friends, this is what the church ought to be. Longing to see each other. Longing to hear what's going on in your story. Longing to be a part of one another. This is the church. See, this is what we were made for with one another and with our triune God. This is why we have women's studies, men's studies, community groups, community events like basketball and taco night. This is not just for me to play some basketball and eat tacos, which two of my favorite things to do. But in actuality, it's to build into community. It's to build fellowship. It's to get to know each other. And I want, to, I want you, to, as much as I want to get to know you, I want you to get to know me that I'm no different here than on the basketball court. I'm no different here than eating tacos with you. And I want you to do the same. I want you to be the same individual, loving on people, caring for people, welcoming people through the door. This is what fellowship, this is what the church ought to be. And if neighbors come, and and please invite as many people as you can to basketball and taco night because we want to share the good news of Jesus. 
not just play basketball and eat tacos. It's about evangelism. It's about sharing your faith. It's about fellowship with the Lord. So this is why we have these events. And this is exactly what Satan is trying his hardest to destroy. And he's doing a good job at it, isn't he? Right? Using age to separate you. Like, I'm too old to be hanging out with a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old. I need to just find the 50-year-olds and hang out with the 50-year-olds. No, that's not the church. Or using likes and dislikes to cause division. Well, I don't like that, so I'm not going to be a part of that. It's just come and be a part of it. Come and fellowship. Come and hang out. See, we cannot give Satan all the credit, though. Like in James 1, verse 14, it talks about your own evil desires. This is what takes you away from God and leads you towards sin, leads you towards separation from the Lord, isolation, lack of fellowship. See, our desires or our felt needs are strong and more often than not take us away from the true fellowship with our Savior and others. So we're going to talk about fellowship today. So let me pray one more time. And then we'll jump in. Jesus, I thank you so much for an opportunity to fellowship. And what a timely message to be at the AGM, to fellowship with one another, to care for one another's needs, and to get excited about what is to come. And so, Lord, may you spark a love for one another in this place, that we will look at each other differently, because your spirit resides in us as we learned last week. So help us, Lord. Help us be a people that fellowships well and loves well. And so I just pray this in your name that you'll use me despite me, that you'll use my words that I've prepared here for your namesake and your glory, that you'll be honored, Jesus, today. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, let's go through a few points that will keep us on track because if I just talked about fellowship we'll be here till three all right so here's some points that we want to talk about so what does the bible say about fellowship and then we got four sub points into that that first one's going to be real quick and then god is the example of fellowship god fellowships with us we are commanded to be in fellowship with one another and what is our enemy what is our enemy uh, doing to disrupt our fellowship and then we're going to talk a little bit on just got some practical things that we can do as a church some practical things that we might be able to live out all right? So that's where we're going to go. So the first one, what does the Bible say about fellowship? Well, fellowship comes from the word koinonia, which means the act of sharing in activities or privileges. Sharing, the act of sharing. This is action. This is movement, right? The act of sharing uh, in the activities or privileges of an intimate association, especially used of marriage and the church community. We're the church. So this is action. This is action steps, right? Moving forward uh, based out of all of our discipleship series, based out of who God is, what his word says, our relationship with him through prayer, spirit-filled life, and now here's some action steps of now let's go in fellowship, right? So this type of fellowship is most grounded in our triune God. See, God never calls us to something that he isn't already fully committed to. Like in the Godhead, there is perfect koinonia. Perfect. Like it, it never wavers. 
So let's look at that first point. God is the example then of fellowship. So we have, what does the Bible say about fellowship? It was really quick. We could have gone on forever about this. And this is some of what the Bible says. Uh, but the triune God. So God is the example of fellowship. One God in three very distinct persons all working together, together for one purpose. And we see this played out most clearly in the beginning. Right at the beginning. In creation. Genesis 1.26 where we pass over it way too fast, and it says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us. Like, picture this. The, the Godhead, three distinct persons, one God, talking amongst themselves. Let us. Come in. This is only us here. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And speak them into existence. Like we need to slow down when we read the Bible. Like that is sweet. The triune God intimately sharing what they want to create. See, now think about this. Creation of man was a together thing. It was a fellowship thing between the Godhead. It was a we. That's we, we do this. See, when a group of people do something together, there is intimacy that is birthed, whether on a mission trip, a sports team, a school project. And maybe you've felt this. Maybe you've been on a mission trip before, and you still remember it deeply. It was one of the biggest times of your life, and it was only a week, maybe two, maybe longer. But it's, it's attached to your heart because there's a group of people on one mission, on one purpose to do what they, the task was to do. Friends, the church has the same mission, to make Jesus known. Who, no, no matter who you are, little kids coming up here, we're training them to be little disciple makers, to make Jesus known. This is the goal, to come alongside you as parents, to train them up in Christ, to make Jesus known in their schools and when they get old enough in the workplace and, and all that kind of stuff, and the same is for us. So an action of we. See, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been participating together, and think about this, eternally. No beginning, no end. They've been doing this eternally, talking amongst each other, sharing with one another, and intimately involved with one another. And just like we have love celebrating, and we love, like, we love celebrating big events, right? Like, no one likes a party more than me, right? We love big events like birthdays and anniversaries and all that kind of stuff. Well, God does that too. We get it from God. See, they, God, one God, three distinct persons created together, called the people together and made a covenant relationship with them. God the Father and God the Spirit showed up at Jesus' baptism. God the Father spoke from heaven and God the Spirit descended like a dove resting on Jesus' shoulder. Thirty years prior, he spoke to Mary, the teenage virgin, letting her know that she would give birth to the coming Savior by the way of the Holy Spirit. It says that right in Matthew 1.18, where it says she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Or in the desert, while being tempted by Satan, the Spirit comforted Jesus. At Jesus' transfiguration with his disciples, the Father speaks about his beloved Son. At the garden prior his death, Jesus not only submits to the Father... But it is the only form of fellowship he desired. 
in one of the greatest times of turmoil he had experienced up until this point of his life, and he invited people into it. Or at the cross, at his resurrection, and at his ascension into heaven, these events in Jesus' life were huge, and they marked for us fellowship. The creator, and we could go on and on about these things. If you just read through the scripture front to back, you could see the fellowship of the Lord with his people everywhere. See, God is our example of fellowship. Look at the second point. God fellowships with us. God fellowships with us. This type of fellowship is most grounded in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, when he calls his people and he says to them, I will be with you. I will be with you. God personifies fellowship and is constantly discipling us towards this. Think of that statement for a second. I will be with you. Again, we're just going to slow down as we read the Bible. I will be with you. This is the God of, of heaven. This is God of created all the universe, the stars, the, the trees, the ocean. Didn't allow the ocean to go past the banks, the rivers, man, woman. And he says, I will be with you. Like This ought to floor us a little bit. Like he's always here with us. Quorum Deo. We live under the face of God. Man, it's so beautiful. And he goes, I will be with you. He will commune with us. Us. Sinners. Fallen short of, of, of being perfect. Rebelling against the God. And he still goes, I will be with you. In fact, the phrase, I am with you, is mentioned a lot in the scripture and throughout the scripture and it also alluded to far more. Isaiah 41.10 is an example. It says this, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or Genesis 28.15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. In Matthew 28.20, you have the Jesus' great commission to his followers, saying the same thing as God the Father in the Old Testament. Interesting. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Psalm 73, 23 through 24, nevertheless, I am continually, continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. This is our God. See, God with us is true fellowship. And as we learned last week, we not only have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with us, like indwelling us, but, they, but the Holy Spirit actually intercedes for us. Intercedes for us. Like, like he finishes your sentences. Like turn to Romans 8 for a second. Flip over. I shared this in my community group. We were talking. So you can go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Get your Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because the Romans are coming, right? You ever hear that one? <laughs> Helps you. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Get your Acts. Romans are coming. All right, Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. So the Spirit finishes your sentences for you. He helps us in our, in your, in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Holy of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So good. We have the dwelling Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit fellowshipping with our spirit. And he intercedes for us as we lift up prayers to the Father. This is communion. This is fellowship. See, Charles Spurgeon, I love this quote, based out of this text of Scripture, Charles Spurgeon says, I thank God that my prayers go to heaven in the revised version. Right? They're edited so good. And I'm so thankful for that too, right? Like, has anybody fallen asleep while praying? No one? Me, just me? All right. All right. Um, well, that's awkward. See, God fellowships with us. God fellowships with us. Look at the third point. We are commanded to be in fellowship with one another. Fellowship, again, koinonia, is the intimate connection between one and another. In order to have this, you must have love. You must have love. And can we, like, you got to be honest with yourself, like, can we look at one another in this room as we walk through the door and actually love one another? Like, it has to start there. Like, do we actually love one another and care for one another? And if we don't, then fellowship will always be broken. We're always going to seek for our own wants, our own needs, our own desires if we don't turn that into love for a neighbor because then we're going to start saying no to this. See, this is, this is the suggestion in the, in the Scripture that is commanded of us, this love. It's commanded us. It's not a suggestion anymore. See, Matthew 22, 36 to 39, it says this. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law, and you've heard this text before. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Some people take this out of complete context and they go, oh man, I should really love myself. No, Jesus is saying, See how much you love yourself, how you want your needs, your desires, your felt wants. That's how much I want you to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So turn that love of yourself towards your neighbor now. Let's do this. This is the second greatest commandment. So we need to ask, what does the Bible, what does biblical love look like? Well, in 1 Corinthians 13... Maybe some of you got married out of this text of Scripture. I've used this text of Scripture through biblical counseling, all that kind of stuff, and really broke it down. And I love this text. Love this text. And it's all about love. It's all about who actually Jesus is. And if you take this text, you'll actually find 17, 17 examples of what love is. Well, 17 examples, nine of which is love and Eight of which love is not. And take a look. I made a little graph for you. You can look it on the screen. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love rejoices with truth. I'm going way too fast. Let's slow down again. Love is patient. How patient were you this week? Then you've got to evaluate. If I was not patient, then I guess I was not loving. Because love is actually patient. Love is kind. Were you, were you kind to another? Or on the flip side, were, or were you boastful? 
Love is kind. Love rejoices with truth. It rejoices, not with lies, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all. Even rude behavior, it bears all. Why? Because I love you. I will bear it for you because I love you. This is what love is. And this is, this is played out. This whole side of the graph is played out by Jesus perfectly. He bore our sins, bears our iniquities, our rebellion. Love believes all, hopes all, endures all. It never ends, and the greatest, it is the greatest of all. And on the flip side, love is not envious. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not about yourself kingdom. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. And it is not about evil. This is what love is. So fellowship with one another ought to look loving. It ought to look like that left side of the graph. See, we ought to be so devoted to one another that when you think about doing something, you actually think, you actually think, how will it affect my community? This is love. This is true fellowship. Like, how are my actions going to affect the community? That's love. That's fellowship. Thinking more highly of the other. Because we rejoice in truth. So you remember, koinonia is most commonly experienced when talking about marriage and the church. And both these relationships are to exemplify unity. Marriage is a covenant relationship between one man and one woman, and the church is the covenant relationship between believers and Jesus. All of us, I'm with you over here, and Christ. It's our relationship together, many members, one body, and Jesus. And how are we dying to ourselves for the sake of Christ? Just like in marriage, how am I dying for the sake of my wife? 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 4, 14 says it this way. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. See, we are members one with the other. And this is another reason for membership, to publicly declare you're part of the body. I want to be a part of this community. I want to, I'm all in. I want to I submit to your leadership that as you follow Christ, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow his shepherding. He is the chief shepherd of this church. Capital S, shepherd. And we need to follow him. See, the scriptures are chocked full of what it means to be in fellowship. Paul Tripp and Tim Lane wrote this amazing book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. I love that title. Relationships, a mess worth making. Really good book. They wrote it together and they warred together and they are honest about it. It's actually really good, but it is chocked full of good quotes. Here's one of them. It says, just as human beings were created with a vertical need for God's companionship, they are also, we were also created 
for the horizontal companionship of other people. Friends, we need this. We need fellowship. Or our soul dies. Friends, the koinonia that we have with the triune God is incredible. God instilled it in us. Look at Philippians 2, 1 through 4. It says this, it's on the screen. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, anybody encouraged by Christ? Yes, thank you for now raising your hand. Liars, before. You've fallen asleep, I know you have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, yeah, I've been encouraged. Any comfort from love? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, me too. Uh, Any participation in the spirit? Mm Mm-hmm, and it's sweet, isn't it? Any affection and sympathy for another? Uh Uh-huh. Then complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. Same mind of what? Being encouraged in Christ, comfort and love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy. Complete then my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Unified as as a body. One mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Such a good text. God is is the example of fellowship. The triune God eternally exemplifying it. We have fellowship with God when he says, I am with you. And we have fellowship with others many members, one body. So because the Bible speaks much about fellowship, we also know that we have an enemy, right? I, I prayed right at the start when we were praying for the church and the, the scattered Christians and uh, brothers and sisters around the church that they would be empowered. And I prayed through Ephesians chapter 6, putting their armor on. It's just an example of praying through the Bible, praying exactly the, what the words say in the scripture and just putting my words to it. So we prayed for them. We pray for them because there's a war going on. And so if the, if the Bible speaks much about fellowship, then we know that the enemy is going to go after it. And so look at this point. What is our enemy doing to disrupt our fellowship? Well, the clearest example of this is in the garden at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, is the fall of mankind. We have creation, Genesis 1 and 2. We have fall, Genesis 3, all the way till Jesus enters the scene. Genesis 3, 1 says, did God actually say? Did God actually say? See, disruption to true fellowship started by slandering God's word and making him out to be untrustworthy. And if God isn't trustworthy, then he isn't loving. And if God isn't loving, then the things he has told us to flee from, hey, might actually be good for us. And if you take a loving God away, then it doesn't take long to move from being image bearers of love and turn into image bearers of self-glory, right? And we know this from the, the story of creation, right? We have Adam and Eve, and then they birthed Cain and Abel. It took maybe, I don't know, 20 years, maybe less before Cain killed Abel. We have no idea the time frame of that, but we just know that the first kids of Adam and Eve killed One of them killed the other. Disruption, isolation, right? This is what it brings. It brings death. It brings confusion. It brings discord. 
And that's what Adam and Eve felt. And they passed it down to the generations and we still feel the ramifications of it. We still feel it, don't we? Right, when you get home and, you're, and the dishes are piled up and you're like, Dah. now I have to do them. It's not my chore. I'm the father. I assigned this chore. Right? I got kids. Dis discord instantly. Frustration, anger begins to play out. See, this type of hatred breeds isolation that continues today. Like, be honest with yourself. Like, isn't it so much easier to text people than phone them? Come on. Yes? Just do the, yeah, yes. Sign language? Yes. Right? It's so much easier. Right? Why? Why is it easier? It creates isolation. It feeds our evil soul. Because picking up a phone and actually talking to someone or in person requires listening, requires an intimacy, requires eye contact of some sort. If you're not on the phone, it requires deep listening, engagement. You have to die to yourself a little bit because you're wanting to love them. Social media is another example. It connects you to people, places, and things more than any other time in history right now. But it is a fake reality because the fellowship isn't truly taking place. It's not. Virtual, re virtual reality, I'm not sure, uh, I'm sure all of you have heard about virtual reality. Uh, about six years ago, someone came up to me and said, hey, Jared, good to see you, man. I haven't seen this guy for like three months maybe. And he goes, yeah, I've been, I've been traveling the world. And I was like, Seriously? I, didn't, I had no idea you were a traveler. Like, I didn't know that you were all over the place. And he was like, yeah, I saw Paris and, and different parts of Europe and all this kind of stuff. I was like, wow, that's impressive, man. Well, I was kind of just in my basement. And I was like, what? You were in your basement? You didn't travel. No, 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 I did. I was there. I was, at, I was in Paris. I was in these different places. I was like, buddy, you didn't taste the coffee. You didn't taste the food. You didn't, you didn't rub shoulders with the community of people around you. Like, I've been to India. It is stinky. All right? It's stink like you, if you go to India on virtual, you have no idea. No idea. So, no, you didn't travel the world. He's like, well, I've got all these other places to travel this summer. I was like, mm, maybe you should buy a plane ticket. Virtual reality, it distorts. It's a false idea of fellowship. Video games are another example of this. You become the avatar and play a spy or war hero without the ramifications of conscience, community, or love of neighbor. But rather you feed off of anger, killing, adrenaline, gore, and destruction. And you have zero conscience over it. Yeah, like maybe last night you killed like 100 people. Zero conscience over it. Destruction. Violence. It's feeding in you something. You got, like, we all have things. Like, I, I don't want to pick just on the gamers. We all have things that we go to for comfort, every one of us. We all have something that goes, whew, this is, I don't have to think. I can just unplug. I can unwind. This is me time. We all have these moments. But what I'm wanting to do is challenge you a little bit to go, is it fellowship? 
that you're called to? Is it this form of fellowship that will lift you up? Is it a form of fellowship that will lift another up? Because like Philippians talks of, we want to think of another. And when you're missing from a body of fellowship, it hurts the body. It hurts. Another form of isolation is sex. See, sex has been used as a form of isolating another since the fall of man. At times, a spouse will use sex as a weapon to get what they want. It's weaponized both by the husband and the wife in different ways. As soon as you use sex for your pleasure or to control another to get what you want or what you might be lacking, you isolate the one you are using. This is actually incredibly enmeshed in our culture today that we don't even notice how pervasive it is anymore unless you slow down and actually think about it. Like regular everyday products right now are being sexualized. Sports games have been doing this for years. Magazines, again, years. Cartoons, years. Working out is becoming crazy. Going to the gym, you have to be, very, you have to be on guard as a, as a man going to a gym nowadays. So the enemy uses money as well and manipulates us to serve money rather than serve God. He does this by breaking fellowship with the church body and seeking to get ahead and build storehouses of possessions rather than looking to build the Lord's church. We see this most clearly in Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 who skimmed off their tithe. Another is Judas who stole from the tithe and who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Or in the book of James chapter 2 calling us to treat one another without partiality. So when you see someone walk through the door that doesn't look put together, maybe possibly could be homeless, do you treat them differently? I sure hope not. Can I be honest with you for a second? Someone give me a yes. Thank you. So I'm going to be taking my daughter Elle to Special Olympics basketball later on. I was thinking about how cool would it be to invite the whole group of individuals for special, of Special Olympics to basketball and taco night. But you know what was in my heart? That would be hard. That would be awkward. How would people respond? We got to get over this. We gotta, like me included, we gotta get, we gotta fight for the sake of the gospel. Why are we inviting people to come to church? Why are we inviting to community events for fellowship with Jesus? The enemy also uses power. We see this seductive lie play out in the lives of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. We see it in King David. We see it in his son Solomon and Saul in the New Testament killing Christians. We see the enemy uses suffering. The enemy uses suffering to to sway you away, to isolate you from the father, causing brokenness and fellowship between friends and even the husband and wife. In the story of Job, the suffering was so intense, his wife told him what? To curse God and die. Or with Jesus in the desert, Satan playing off his starving body to tempt him away from communion with the Father, just like he did with Adam and Eve. 
See, the enemy of God will stop at nothing to cause division and separation within the church. And he will connect it as close as he can with what God has called us to. Another quote from Tripp and Lane's book says this, you, you deny your humanity every time you avoid someone. Think of that for, just let that sink in. You deny your humanity every time you avoid someone. When you get angry with your children, when you get when you opt for isolation over facing your hurt, when you exploit another human being, or when you give way to bigotry. You're opting out of humanity. God wants fellowship. We deny God and align with Satan when division with God or another is present. This is what we do. We're aligning with Satan. When we are loving and kind and generous, so let me close with this. 12 points that will go really fast, all right? What can we do as a church? What can we do as a church? What can we do practically to build fellowship as a church? Well, look at these 12 things. This is just things that I've come up with. And I'm sure we can come up with a whole bunch more. But we can commit to one another, right? We can commit to one another. I was talking, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, with someone here, and uh, we were talking about just this next generation, the fear of missing out. And so the commitment level is very low, right? The, the invite will go to the home, come over for dinner on, let's say, 10 days from now. You won't get a commitment until the ninth hour. Why? Because you want to isolate. You want maybe someone else more important will, you know, give me a better invitation, Let's just commit to one another. So if someone invites you to something, whether it be a walk or a dinner or a lunch, just go. Just go. Say yes right away. Commit to one another. Showing them love. Secondly, invite one another to your homes. Like I, I've challenged uh, our members, and, and especially this last members class, and I, I love the fact that some of those individuals are doing it. That... We don't have a large congregation. But wouldn't it be cool that you had every single person over for dinner at one time? That'd be pretty cool. I remember actually my grandfather's funeral and I was sitting in this in a huge church in, in, uh, in Arizona. And uh, I'm sitting in there and we went to the church gathering after the funeral and they mentioned my grandfather from the stage. And uh, they said, anyone who has ever been over to Stanley's house for dinner, just stand up. The majority of people stood up. And it was like thousands of people. And I was a young kid at that time, and I said, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I want to be with people like my grandfather. Celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. Man, allergies at, in the fall, right? It's weird. I hate allergies. Celebrate birthdays and anniversaries. Go to each other's kids' sports games. Share your hurts, pains, times of joy, sufferings with others. 
This is, this is why in community groups, if you're not involved in a community group yet, get involved. This is why we share stories in community groups. So we can begin to fellowship. We can begin to get to know one another deeply. Share your hurts and pains. Jody and I have our calendar. We share a calendar. And on there, every once in a while comes a day of hurt for so-and-so. Whether they lost their spouse, lost, lost a loved one, maybe it was a, it was a time of, like, we, we do a lot of counseling, a lot of hurt, a lot of, maybe a, a time where someone said, you know what, I want to kill myself on this day. And then they, we walk through them with this major suffering, major hurt, and then that is a day of hurt that we go, hey, I'm so thankful that you walk through this with us and I'm so thankful to be part of your life. So we have different days of hurt across our calendar. Build into that. Pray for each other. Drop food off at one another's homes. Visit each other in the hospital. Pay, babysit each other's kids. There's a lot of kids. Man, get to know the kids as well. They're a lot of fun. Visit each other. I already said that one. Go on a trip together. We've got a camping trip coming up for the whole church is invited in July. So look into that. Play games together and be in community. Show up and make it a priority in your week. So like I, that number one, commit to one another. That means in community group, make that part of your schedule. Make that part of your calendar. Make that part of something that you never overbook. You never book something else on that night because that's my community time. That's my fellowship with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So we can list a million more. Let me give you one more quote from uh, Tripp and Lane. It says this, Every time you move towards someone in compassion, you affirm your humanity. You do this every time you care about someone else's story as much as your own. Seek or grant forgiveness or function as a peacemaker. This is what humanity is called to. This is what we're called to by Christ. Let me close with this. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope within, without wavering. Let's hold fast to Jesus Christ without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So we can hold on. He's trustworthy. And let us then now consider how to stir up one another. Like picture this. Hold on to Jesus Christ, your testimony, and now let us stir up one another as we hold on to Jesus. To love and good works, not neglecting to hang out. It doesn't say that. It says meet together. But hang out. As it is, habit, as the, as it is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the end of time coming. Let's fellowship. Let's be together. We've got soup cooking right now, which is crazy how it worked out to be here on this day. I'm so thankful for that. Let's continue to fellowship, get to know one another and love on one another. This is actually practically living out the scripture. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you for your amazing, amazing, amazing grace. Like you wanted to fellowship with me after I sin against you, after I, when I pray, I fall asleep on you and you still draw near. 
Lord, I praise your name. I thank you so much for all the things that you give. Hallowed be your name. Lord, help us. Help us be a body. Fill us with your spirit and help us draw near to you and draw near to one another. And make this place, this little short church, make this a place that is known within the city that invites people and loves on them. And that we'll never stop doing it. Help us, Lord. Be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.